We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. I'm not a cocky person. I'm just passionate. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately. Quarantine and chill. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. Welcome One, two, in three, everyone to this week's episode of the Music City Audible part of Broadway Sports Media. We are partnered, of course, with 440 Sports now. Be sure to check out 440sports.com. Be sure to go to broadwaysportsmedia.com. I am your host, Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello, recording this segment on a Wednesday because of some scheduling stuff. We will have a guest on this week, but Justin, we're going to record this today because you're not going to be here tomorrow. I am very sad. I will not be here for this week's guest uh, it, it's a good one, so uh, I'm sad that I'm missing out on it, but I have no doubt that you will at least be mediocre without me. Thank you, thank you. Your support means the world to me. On today's show, we're of course previewing the Bengals-Titans game that will be played this Sunday. We have a very special guest, Joe Goodberry, joining us for that. Joe Goodberry has written for The Athletic, for Cincy Jungle, for all kinds of Bengals-focused publications. He's an NFL draft expert and a Bengals expert, so we're going to get his take on everything that's going on in Cincinnati. We're going to catch up on some news and notes here. But before we get to that, we're going to talk a little bit about the loss to Pittsburgh, reflect on some of the things the Titans didn't do well, and maybe some bright spots just as we look forward into this game against Cincinnati that we, of course, will preview, touch on some news and other notes. But thinking about this game against Pittsburgh, the Titans, obviously, the big story is the defense in the first half was terrible. And then the other big story is the complete turnaround that the game seemingly had in the second half as Tennessee held Pittsburgh to just three points and almost came back and fell just short of overtime with a field goal that could not stay inside the right upright. But I feel like this game exposed a lot of things that have been problems for Tennessee throughout this entire season that they've kind of just glossed over and been able to not suffer the consequences of by coming out with wins. But what did you think overall about this game? Yeah, I mean, it was obviously great to see them fight back the way they did in the second half, but... On the flip side, you would have you would have liked to have seen them not have to fight back in, in such a manner because you know they were down so many points uh, at the end of the first half. It was certainly disappointing to see them perform the way they did in the first half, to see them losing by as much as they were losing, and it could have been worse. Truthfully, right? I think they were down seventeen at halftime, and it felt like it could have been more. So, uh, you know, I think you're right. A lot of things exposed that maybe you had band aids on because you know winning solves all, but there's certainly a, a lot of things for them to fix here. And one of the things, the reason we bring this up and talk about it as we go into this game, we don't usually review the previous week's game because that's been pretty much done by now on Friday morning when this podcast comes out. But I want to talk about it going into the next game because it seems to me like a big problem is, number one, the outside linebacker depth. And I feel like we harp on it every week. You write about it in the gridiron grades when you get to the outside linebackers about how many snaps Harold Landry has been playing. And it's just so weird that Derek Roberson has been inactive this past game. They continue to roll with three outside linebackers. And against the Steelers on Sunday, Harold Landry, I think, and Jadeveon Clowney both had temporary, they were able to come back in the game, but temporary injuries. And when you're dealing with such a thin group on game day, like those injuries can sometimes be catastrophic. So I just don't understand why we aren't seeing more Derek Roberson, even if it's just to like come in for a, to be a body to give Landry some more 
time off so he can be more explosive on the snaps he does play like what is going on with the outside linebacker rotation right now yeah, it's 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 you know if you've read my gridiron grades weekly, then then you know I'm 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 very frustrated with it because I I don't understand the continued decision making to have three outside linebackers um, active. I mean they're five and one. You're gonna run these guys into the ground by the time the playoffs. You're gonna have no outside linebackers when the you know the super important games. But when they're in the playoffs, I mean. Is Harold Landry still playing 100% of snaps? Because lately, I feel like he's been in the 90s, and it's just mind-blowing to me. And it's probably a reason he only has 1.5 sacks through six games. Everyone keeps talking about the disappointing sack numbers. Well, you know, maybe if he caught his breath once in a while, maybe he'd be a little more fresh when he's out there. So it, it blows my mind, especially when you have a guy like Roberson, who, yes, sure, you know, isn't a world beater or, or a proven guy, but they obviously liked him quite a bit. They gave him a huge signing bonus last year when they brought him in as a UDFA. He played his best football towards the end of the year. Everyone remembers that two-sack game he had against the Saints in Week 16. And, and you bring him back again this year. He makes the team. He's hurt going into the season, and you kept him on the 53-man roster. I'm not questioning that decision. What I'm saying is you clearly liked him, right? Because let's be honest, how many guys, when, when it's time to cut down time, if they have an injury, even if they're out for one week only, they either get cut, they get put on IR, there's an injury settlement. No, they kept Roberson on the 53-man roster despite him nursing a multi-week injury. I mean, so we think. He, he was inactive for the first, I believe, four weeks. Yeah, he was inactive for the first four games, not weeks, because they had a break with COVID. And I know I'm ranting a little, but the first four games he was inactive. Uh, you think at least some of that had to do with injury. You kept him the whole time. You get him active for the fifth game, finally. He plays, I think it was, five or six snaps. Uh, and then he's back to being in. And, and by the way, in that game where he played five or six snaps, Vic Beasley only played 11. I believe that was the same game. So that tells you how much they used Clowney and, and Landry in that one. And you get into the sixth game, and he plays even less snaps. Right? Um, obviously, he was inactive. He played no snaps, but you know what I mean. He goes from playing five snaps to being inactive. So uh, the, the way they continue to utilize this rotation uh, is, is mind-blowing to me. I, I'm shocked they're not interested in, in, having, in keeping these guys a little more fresh than they have. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And what's crazy to me is people who, I mean, I can understand being a little bit disappointed in Clowney's production so far. I do think he's been quite disruptive and one of the more disruptive players. The entire front four for the Titans defense has been pretty solid this entire season. Jeffrey Simmons, Daquan Jones, Jadeveon Clowney, and Harold Landry. Those four guys have played pretty well this year. Um, but Clowney, I feel like there's... Uh, a section of the fan base, a, a lot of people who are disappointed in what Clowney's been are like, man, he, we know, we knew that the sacks were never going to be there, but I feel like he hasn't even been disruptive. It's like, he has been disruptive. He forced a fumble on the Steelers' first drive that just happened to bounce straight up into Cl Chase Claypool's arms again. He was in the backfield making tackles for loss. Uh, he was, he had a huge game against the Vikings, but aside from the splash plays and aside from the big playmaking plays, like, I just want to know where this Titans team would be without Clowney from from a pure bodies standpoint. Who the heck would have played outside linebacker for this team? I, there's no one else to have played outside linebacker. It'd been Harold Landry and, I mean, Vic Beasley, I guess Correa wouldn't have got traded and he would have had to be like a major part of the team. Like, they traded him. They obviously didn't care for his skills. So that, yeah, that to me is just like... The one they had that they refused to put on the field. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, that's true. But I mean, that just, I mean, I am baffled by the idea that Clowney's not been living up to, I mean, you have to pay whatever you can pay just to get a body on the field that's not going to be a liability on the edge. And Clowney's not been a liability. In fact, he's been a disruptive force. They just need to get the sacks. And part of the sacks, I'm going to transition, part of the sacks is the, you know, the run game, the run defense hasn't been great. And that's mostly been an outside, uh, inside linebackers issue because the front four like we said is playing well but the linebackers are not triggering on on the run plays they're just waiting wherever they're standing when the ball is snapped for a lineman for a guard to climb to them in the second level and drive them out of the play and that leads me to my next point about inactives is david long where's david long why haven't we had a chance to see him a little bit uh, another thing I've written a lot about in the in, in my gridiron grades uh weekly piece uh, another one that just blows my mind right is you you know David Long who, who really flashed as a rookie at times I've mentioned that a bunch of times on this show but played I thought you know terrific football against Baltimore in the playoffs when they when they needed him to and they counted on him he was terrific goes into the season I, I was convinced that he was going to get you know at least certainly some playing time and get some snaps as part of a rotational you know uh, rotational linebacker job and uh, he too has been inactive I mean there are games, and, and no disrespect to anyone, but they've had Darren Bates, Nick Dzunbar, uh, I wish I knew how to say it. Dzunbar. Dzunbar, and Will Compton, all three of them active, with David Long inactive. And it blows my mind. Uh, again, and I understand, you know, Bates and Dzunbar are special teams aces, and Titans love those guys, and you need those guys. One thing I also want to point out, sidebar, little sidebar, if you're going to have Darren Bates, Nick Zunbar, and Will Compton all active ahead of David Long, seemingly for the sake of special teams, you better not go out there and give up 60-yard punt returns. Or, or Darren Bates commits a hold. A hold on penalty the first on the first return. return of the game. Yeah. And then, and you know, so if you're really going to sacrifice someone like David Long to have these special teams aces out there, you better have a, a pretty damn good special teams unit, which they have not at all. And then on top of it, yeah, I wrote, I had to write about it in Gridiron Grades. I feel like I'm angry and I'm ranting, but Nick Zunbar gets a snap at the goal line mm-hmm. on first and goal or second and whatever it was. Do you remember the play? Yeah, it was the uh, touchdown run to the left corner of the end he looked like he had never played a snap at linebacker in his life he like ran into the blocker who ran in who he pushed into the titans defensive lineman who fell over and neither one of them was able to make it to the ball carrier (laughs) but david long can't get on the field right now yeah that's what's crazy to me you got darren bates out there committing holding penalties on special teams and you got nick dezunbar playing goal line snaps and not doing like I don't know what they're waiting for. I don't know if they need to see something else in practice or meeting rooms or what it is, but like at a certain point, you just got to try it. You just got to try to see if someone else can make a bigger impact because. And, what and Compton, getting... you know, is, again, you know, of course, you know, love, love Compton who doesn't, but uh, also, you know, it's not exactly the most athletic linebacker in the world. And uh, they released him on Monday and, and re-added him back to the practice squad. Had him basically swapped with Darren Bates, who went from the practice squad to the active roster. Uh, but you know, you, Cobbins, you know, not you know, not ideal either, right? In terms of playing on the goal line or playing playing in coverage, right? I, I know he had given up a touchdown in coverage earlier this year near the goal line, where he was kind of stuck in no man's land. Yeah, uh, it, it just blows my mind that they, 
you know, again, those are the two things that, you know, a lot of things have blown my mind on this defense. It's historically bad right now on third down. But given Zunbar snaps, at, at or even a snap at the goal line, having him, Bates, and Compton active over uh, David Long, and then the outside linebacker rotation that we touched on, refusing to get Roberson out there, and being willing to have Harold Landry play 95% of the snaps on a weekly basis. So it's okay to get a little bit of frustration off your chest when the team loses a game and they're still 5-1 and one with plenty of time to make corrections. One big correction that's not really a correction but could be a huge improvement would be the return of Adoree Jackson. Still have no word on if that's going to happen or not this week, but Mike Vrabel said that he will see how he does in practice and We'll know later the day that this podcast is coming out the likelihood of Adoree playing on Sunday. But if he can come back, I really do think that makes a, a huge impact on the defense. I know one guy is not going to be a savior, but you know you have Ty Smith missing tackles early in the game on Deontay Johnson on a third and long, who's able to break to the outside and pick up that first down. Like Adoree Jackson's going to take a better angle there, and even like Adoree's a good tackler, but even if he lets a talented player like Deontay Johnson break that tackle like the way that Adoree's going to come in and corral him is just going to push him towards his help he's not going to give up the outside and over pursue to the inside the way Ty Smith did on that play trying to be aggressive and make a play but he he gave up the outside and gave up an easy first down just like that you allow the Steelers to get in a rhythm and pick up more first downs it's like that leads to so many like the the domino effect that that has of, of just of Ty Smith being in one player I know one player isn't going to be a world beater, but one player. Now, I'm working on a piece for our site, Broadway Sports Media, and I discovered something about the Titans defense last year when Adoree Jackson missed five games last year. So I took Week 17 out of my calculations because A.J. McCarron was playing and Houston played a bunch of backups that game, so it doesn't really count. In the other games, with Adoree Jackson on the field, the Titans defense averaged 19.2 points allowed. Without Adoree Jackson... That number jumped up to 26.5 points per game. Now, I'm not saying Adoree Jackson is worth seven over seven points per game by himself, but you know, the games with Adoree Jackson included the Patrick Mahomes Kansas City game where they gave up 30 something points to the Chiefs. So it's not like those were all against bad opponents either. And they had to play the Saints without Adoree Jackson and they put up 38. And that's the product, that's the effect of not having a guy like Adoree. So I mean, I know he's not one savior can't be the answer, but Logan Ryan being gone amplified like last year when Adoree Jackson was out, Logan Ryan was still there to be like a leader on the defense, help communication, help be a good veteran presence. And even though he wasn't great over the top against speed, he was a good communicator and a great blitzer and a great run defender. Adoree Jackson's also a great run defender. And him being out with Logan Ryan departed, like they let Logan Ryan walk expecting to have a Dory Jackson here. So I really do think he's going to make a pretty significant impact when he does return just because of the domino effect of uh, what they can do with the coverages on the on the back. And they don't have to take Kevin Byard and make him play center field the whole game and, and decrease his effectiveness so that the corners on the outside like Jonathan Joseph don't get beat deep for a touchdown like they did against Minnesota, you know, so bringing Dory Jackson back just opens up the the doors for everything on the defense. Yeah, well I, well, I agree. And what it does, you know, at the heart of it is put a guy on the field with excellent coverage skills 
and at least take one guy off the field who hasn't been so great in coverage. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. You know, it's one person, but let's hopefully not underrate uh, what that does. Because with all due respect to you know guys like Ty Smith and, and Jonathan Joseph, and, and we've kind of talked about this, you and I, off 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 the air as well. I don't know if it's scheme related. I don't know if it's uh, you know an admission of the lack of talent that maybe they have out there on some of those snaps. But guys like Ty Smith and Jonathan Joseph are playing nine yards off their men. Yeah, it's it's been easy pitch and catch, right? It's elementary school stuff. So you would like to think when a Dory Jackson gets in there over one of those guys that he's not going to be playing nine yards off his man because he has makeup speed and and he's a good corner and every you know he's a good man cover corner. He, he good in everything in my opinion. But the point is you'd like to see that's at least one guy that's going to play tight to their man as opposed to having someone out there that's been playing nine yards off their man. Ben and even if, it was pitch and catch. Yeah. Even if Adori is nine yards off his man or whatever, he has the breaking closing speed close. and explosiveness yeah. to actually get in there and disrupt the pass. Ty Smith did a nice job early in the game, coming down and closing to make like make it like a four yard gain. But Adori Jackson has the speed to potentially break up that pass and make it a zero yard gain. You know, so that's the difference that he makes on the field. Another thing about this defense, by the way. Allowing these insane drives, 16 play drives, 13 play drives, 15 play like they've been doing that all season against every team they played. It's just crazy giving up a drive like that. We talk about the fatigue of the outside linebackers. Get off the field as a defensive unit and you can have you'll be able to have more rest. It's you know, it's one thing to play 90% of the snaps as an outside linebacker. It's another thing to do so when the that's like 15 straight plays. That's freaking crazy that they're that the defense I mean I it's crazy how bad the defense is on third down getting off the field. And they have been great at producing turnovers, but is that something you can like rely on for the whole course of a season when you're, the rest of your defense just isn't that good? Is forcing a fluke turnover every, every five drives or whatever? Uh, I mean, they've obviously created a lot of turnovers, and that's excellent, and you love to see that. It's an important part of the game. But the, the third down defense is, has, has just been beyond atrocious. They, uh, out of this world, unimaginably atrocious. So, you, look, you would like to think that this third down defense can't be as bad as it's been. Uh, it's been historically bad. You have to imagine that it's going to get better. Um, we, we'll have to see. Uh, I think they have a unique challenge here uh, against Cincinnati, or more of a challenge than people think. I know their record is what it is, uh, but Joe Burrow loves to sling that ball around, and he's been doing so, and he's an excellent quarterback. He's got some good weapons at his disposal, uh, and he's going to throw the ball a lot on Sunday, I imagine. So uh, that third down defense and, and, those, and that coverage in those corners, they're going to be tested. Yeah, it's true, but I will say that this could be the chance for the defense to kind of get right, if you will, especially the third down defense. The Bengals are are 25th in the NFL uh, converting on third downs, 38.7%. Obviously, we know the Titans are allowing a league-high 61% conversion rate on third down. One of those things is going to have to give in this one, or maybe they'll meet in the middle. Um, Joe Burrow is third in the NFL in passing yards right now, and... He is first in the league in pass attempts, which is crazy for a rookie to be leading the league in that category. You'd think they'd like, you know, run the ball and help him out, but I do think he's capable. The other thing is it could be a get right game for the pass rush, who, you know, they only have seven sacks through six games, which is a, a big product of that is the secondary, not being able to cover for long enough for guys to get home. 
you know, the Titans quarterbacks, Mike wrote this in an article for Broadway recently that the quarterbacks the Titans have played against are getting the ball out of their hands faster than their season average. Every single quarterback has done so except for Josh Allen, who holds the ball longer than any quarterback in the league anyway. And that was the Titans' best performance on defense was the game they forced the quarterback to hold the ball longest. So getting the quarterback to come off that first read so that the defense, so the defensive line can actually get there is important. And I think this week, the Bengals are potentially going to be without three offensive linemen Bobby Hart and Jonah Williams, both of their tackles. They, Bobby Hart's already been ruled out. Jonah Williams has not been officially ruled out as of Wednesday evening. We'll see what happens on Thursday and Friday. But uh, Ian Rappaport said that he was expected to come back after the Bengals' week nine bye. So chances are they'll be without both of their tackles. And their starting center has a concussion. He'll have to try to get through protocol this week by Friday. We'll know more about how far along he is. A lot of backups in there. Two backups on the edges, Clowney and Landry. Is it time for them to eat this game? What do you think? I mean, you talk about a get-right game for the defense, I, and I, I, you know, I, I do think that there's if there's a, a, a situation here that can be a get-right moment, then I would agree it's for the pass rush. With that, I'm not convinced. We'll see that the defense as a, as a whole is going to have a get-right game, and those corners and that coverage do worry me a little. You know, going up against Joe Burrow and, and going up against guys like T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. But I do agree that if this pass rush is going to get going, Jadavion Clowney and Vic Beasley combined for zero sacks so far. Harold Landry has one and a half. If there's a game to get going, it has to be against this Bengals team and this O-line that is not only really banged up right now, but has been terrible even when healthy. 28 sacks given up on the year. Joe Burrow was sacked eight times against Philadelphia. Eight times. I think that's more sacks than the Titans have on the entire season. I think they only have (laughs) seven so far. So if something's going to give, it's got to be this one. If this pass rush does not get home during this game, it ain't. It's never going to get home. Yeah, Joe Burrow is leading the league in sacks taken, 28, and sack yards lost, 203. So you're right. This this is, if if they can't do it here, it ain't happening. On the other side of the ball, I do think the offense has a chance to run all over this team because the Bengals have been allowing running backs to do that pretty much uh, this entire season. So Derrick Henry coming off a 75-yard performance, I think is going to be a bell cow in this game. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, it certainly feels like a, a bounce-back opportunity for Henry. Obviously, he was held in check uh, against Pittsburgh. Didn't really have a great game in that one. Um, but yeah, this certainly seems like a, an opportunity for him to bounce back and, and get back on track. I, I would agree that Henry's going to have a heck of a game on Sunday. All right. Before we get into our guests here, I do want to talk about one other thing that happened on Wednesday evening. Jesse Bates, safety for the Bengals. I guess this happened uh, on Wednesday during his press conference, but it hit the Twitter feed on Wednesday evening. He doesn't seem to be particularly impressed with Tannehill. I bring this up because you have a unique insight. Why don't you just take it away, Justin? Yeah, so if people want the quote first off, it it was tweeted by Corey Curtis, um, who obviously I assume grabbed it from Bates' press conference, but uh, Corey Curtis posted it on Twitter where Bates had said, I think Derrick Henry has had a lot of 100-yard games this year, and it kind of helps out Ryan a lot. Ryan doesn't really do a lot of things that are like, wow, that pop out on film. I just think he does a really good job of getting the ball out to the check down and not making mistakes. So when you're running the ball like they are, it's hard to make mistakes besides fumbling the ball, and they've done a really good job with that. Uh, this is Jesse Bates again, who is, who is a star safety on the Bengals, in my opinion, a really good 
uh, player. So Bates is someone, um, if, if you guys are familiar with my work outside of this and outside of the Titans, I interview a lot of NFL draft prospects. That's kind of what got me in the door uh, into football in the first place. Bates is a guy that I interviewed years ago. Um, was able to develop a pretty good relationship with him. Uh, was a big fan of his at Wake Forest. Wrote a lot of you know scouting reports on him and interviews and and all kind of stuff. So I've been able to sort of maintain a relationship with Jesse uh, throughout over the years. So I, I shot him a text the other day. I said, "Hey Jesse, you know, hope all is well. Um, if, if you wouldn't mind, curious to kind of get you to clarify your Tannehill comments for me. You know, and I wasn't sure if he was going to be willing to do it or not." truthfully, but I was lucky, you know, he remembered who I was and was able to have a conversation. And he said to me, and I've put this on Twitter already, but in case you miss it, and I quote, um, that's just the media, you know, trying to come up with a story. I think he's a good QB, but the run game definitely helps his game a lot. He hasn't made many mistakes with all the quick game stuff that they have him doing. Uh, but he did add at the, con- at the end of the conversation, just to make things a little spicier, uh, he knew I was going to be publishing this quote, obviously. Uh, and he sent me a couple of laughing face emojis. It's important I, I reveal it within context. Uh, but he had said, let everybody know that I picked Ryan off the last time I played against him. So I thought that was pretty great. And I, I kind of love that he said, look, that's just the media trying to come up with a story. But he knew what he was doing. He added a little more fuel to the fire at the end of it by saying, hey, let everybody know that I picked Ryan off the last time I played him. So I thought that was great. This is great to me because it's just like, this is what Titans fans have been dealing with since Tannehill took over in week seven is this idea that he's not doing anything. He's just handing off to Derrick Henry, despite the fact that the offense completely transformed once Tannehill was inserted, not doing anything impressive. I mean, I guess like hitting tight window throws in the structure of an offense and contested catch situations and fitting the ball into tight spaces. Isn't that impressive? Because it just looks like you're running. It's not like Patrick Mahomes backing up 40 yards as the defense bears down on him and then launching it 80 to the end zone where Tyree Kill waits for it. It's like, you know, it's not that kind of impressive, so I get it. It doesn't look the same. But what Tannehill's done is extremely high-level quarterback play for the Titans. So I think – I love that you got to talk to Jesse, and I like how he says that he – the media is just trying to create a story, but let me go ahead and say the same thing again. That it really is all the run game. Tannehill's good. <laughs> let me clarify, though. It is all the run game. That's all it is. Yeah, he is didn't that... do much clarifying, to be honest. He kind of really right. just doubled down <laughs> on his original comments. But hey, it's fun. Uh, it makes for an exciting, you know, an extra, you know, exciting storyline headed into this game. And and I know obviously I'm a Titans guy through and through, but shout out to Jesse Bates because I'm never mad at a player who's confident and in his game and, and, and is not afraid to voice his opinion. So that, that'll be fun to watch on Sunday. And I guess players haven't learned about talking trash ahead of Titans game. Didn't seem to be too big of a deal for, for the Steelers last week when um, Ryan Clark made all those comments ahead of the game. But <laughs> at least this guy plays for the Bengals. We saw what happened when Earl Thomas talked a bunch of trash before he played Henry, and Thomas talked about Tannehill, too, so <laughs> I don't really think Tannehill can throw the ball or something. They said something like that, so we'll see how the game goes with this uh, with this new trash-talking motivational factor out in the air. I don't mind other teams' players talking trash about the Titans ahead of their matchup. Like I, In fact, I hope every opponent does that for the rest of the season. Yeah, no, it'll definitely be a fun one. Uh, again, keep a close eye. I know Titans fans, you know, now that they've seen the comments and they've seen uh, my conversation with him, uh, I know Titans fans will be watching Bates uh, closely on Sunday. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about this game? I know we talked about how we're going to miss you. 
when we bring on our guests here for this interview. But before we do that, I want to turn it back to you for your last thoughts, closing out prediction, maybe. What do you think? Titans, Bengals. Is this the blowout? (laughs) I'm going to say no, but I am going to say the Titans win it. I'm going to say they win this something like 34 to 24 or something like that. I I do think Burrow probably puts up some points uh, in this one. Uh, just you know, just the way he plays the game and his mentality, and, and the Titans struggles to cover. Uh, I, I I do think Cincinnati are going to score some points, but yes, I do think Tennessee wins. I think Tennessee scores a lot of points in this one. Again, something like thirty four twenty four, and get back into the win column. Yeah, well, you'll have to wait for my prediction because I'm gonna I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna save my prediction for the end. For the end of that. the show, save it for the <laughs> guest, which I, I won't be here for. I'm still very sad about this. Yeah, we will definitely miss you. But without further ado, let's welcome in our guest now, Joe Goodberry, former Bengals analyst. You can find him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry, G-O-O-D-B-E-R-R-Y, all one word, for lots of great Bengals takes. So lots of good Bengals takes out there, for sure, which is why we have you on today. Thank you for being here tonight. How is it going? It's going good. I'm excited for... uh you know, get to this halfway point and this Bengals Titans game represents that Bengals going to their bye week right after. So, you know, I, it's a nice time to finish this one, reset your expectations for the rest of the year. Right. Curious as we dive into this game, before we get into the specifics about the matchup, I'm wondering if you can tell me just your thoughts on Joe Burrow this season and what his impact on the future of the Bengals franchise has been as a rookie so far. I mean, just even before he was drafted, the the impact is the biggest piece you can add to a franchise, right? Even a struggling franchise or, or, or one that, you know, most people look at as maybe a bottom five, bottom six, you know, franchise in the NFL, you draft that right guy, number one, doesn't have to be number one, but in this case it was, and the sky's the limit, right? If he hits, you are competing for his career. And um, the Bengals have a long way to go. They've got, you know, a, a, a roster and a coaching staff that have a lot of questions still at this point. But through seven games, I think we're looking at Burrow like, yeah, he's exactly who we thought he was for, you know, maybe not to the level of LSU torching people and scoring 55 every game, but pretty close. I feel like they can score 30 at any point in any game. And I even see like, you know, just in, in this week's game, the the under over is like 52 and a half. And it's the Bengals for a team that picked number one last year. That's pretty impressive that they think someone's going to score at least 25 in this game. Uh, and so right. you feel good. And I think it's four of the last six games. Uh, they scored over 27. So, you you know, overall, I think we're happy with where it's at. We just desperately want him to be healthy and stop taking as many hits as currently they're, they're on pace for. Right. And that is going to be my next question here is, you know, the offensive line in Cincinnati has probably been the biggest topic of the week, I would I would imagine, with injuries to both starting tackles, Jonah Williams, Bobby Hart, and starting center probably not going to play with a concussion. I know that the team just acquired B.J. Finney from Seattle and uh, in the trade for Carlos Dunlap, and they also signed or they're going to sign Quentin Spain. I'm not really sure what the COVID protocols are. What's the deal? What's the lowdown with this O-line right now? And is there a possibility that either of these two new guys actually play in this game this weekend? It's a bottom five unit in the league. Uh, having said that, you know, when you go from Andy Dalton to Joe Burrow, you get a, you go from a guy that like had terrible pocket presence to a guy that's really good at it. Even though Burrow is charged for a lot of pressures and sacks himself, we'll kind of take that because he's trying to create plays. You know, having said that, you mentioned Jonah Williams, Trey Hopkins, and Bobby Hart. Those are their three best offensive linemen, and they don't look like they'll be out there. And if they are, maybe one of them will be, and Jonah Williams will have to see he's day-to-day. Uh, the guards have been the big issue. 
And it's not that the tackles haven't been. Jonah Williams didn't play at all last year. It's his first year playing. He's been serviceable, at least showing the traits of who we expected he would be coming out of Alabama. Uh, but the guards have been the big issue. And I think that's why you see them trade Dunlap for an interior offensive lineman. They're willing to sign a Quentin Spain from the Bills, who has starting experience. You guys know him in Tennessee. So, uh, you know, he can help your, your offensive line when he's right, when he's playing well. And they won't play this week because Finney, I think he can't play until the following week, which goes into the bye week. So really going to get two weeks there before he even makes a crack or even, I think he's a backup center as of right now, but um, they're at the backup center spot right now. So, and, and Quentin Spain, he can sign, I believe on Friday. So uh, depending on when you're listening to this, it, it may have already happened, but I don't think that gives them enough time to get him into the game. Although he may be active because they don't have a choice because they'll, they'll be down three guys. And Alex Redmond, has he been okay this year? I, I, I haven't really paid too close of attention, but he's number five in ESPN's highest run block win rate for guards. And I've seen some stuff on Twitter. You have a bit of a history with him, do you, do you not? <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, well, the Bengals have had an issue at right guard for a long time. Ever since I let Kevin Zeitler go after the 2016 season, right. they haven't been able to fill it. You know, that's the hard part of letting a 25-year-old former first-round pick walk out the door is, well, it's not easy to replace those guys. And you'll spend four or five years oftentimes trying to replace them. And Redmond's been one of the guys. He was actually cut this offseason and then brought back in after the Bengals signed Xavier Suofilo to play right guard. He made it through half a game. They like Fred Johnson, who was a, a second-year player. He really stunk it up at guard. He's a much better tackle. That's probably where he'll play this week. Billy Price, who's their former first round pick, has been a complete disaster, whether it's at center or guard. And they said, well, we've got no one else. Let's turn back to Alex Redmond. Uh, and I have been critical. I'm that's what I do. If a guy's playing bad, I say what it is. And so he's got a presence on social media and he will talk back, which I don't completely mind. I, I find that fun and, and at least engaging. Uh, but yeah. that is what he is. You, you mentioned his run blocking success. He's a big, strong dude and he can move people, you know, and he plays hard and he plays tough. The issue's always been uh, the false starts, the holdings, the, the penalties, the uh, pass blocking. It's, you know, yeah, it's nice to have a guy that can open up holes, but really, number one, this offense and this team needs to protect Joe Burrow. So he's had his moments still, even though he's been okay for all things considered. And speaking of that, protecting Joe Burrow, the Titans have been one of the worst teams in the NFL at getting to opposing quarterbacks. They only have seven sacks in six games on the year. Meanwhile, the Bengals are allowing more have allowed more sacks than any team tied with Philadelphia, 28 sacks allowed this season. But I noticed something. They're only 15th in pressure percentage allowed, and they're mm -hmm. fifth in total pressures allowed, which makes me think that this could be a volume issue. Is the Bengals offensive line really that bad? Or is Joe Burrow holding the ball too long sometimes? I know he does a pretty good job evading pressure and actually helping the O-line, so... I'm curious if you think this is a situation where, yeah, obviously one side's got to give. Either the Titans' pass rush will continue to struggle or the Bengals' pass blocking will continue to struggle. Which way do you kind of see it going in this game? There's a lot of layers to it because, yes, it is a volume thing. They're, I mean, week two, after playing Sunday, they're on a Thursday night game against the Browns and Joe Burrow's throwing 61 times. I mean, and they were down. So, you know, game script has a huge impact on – pressure and, and your ability to pass protect. Can you use play action? Can you, you know, play under center, uh, things like that. Can you keep it neutral? The one the Bengals have been able to, they protect fine and the game's okay. And you can manage that, you know, uh, being a middle of the road pressure rate team, you're fine with that. As long as Burrow can make plays, it's when they get down, if they're down 10, if they're down 14, those 
defensive linemen are going to pin and, and pin their ears back and just rush off that line and rip off there. And it puts a lot of pressure on the Bengals. They like to go empty. They like to spread it out. They like to spread the defense out and say, you, your four defensive linemen beat our five offensive linemen. We're hopefully going to double your best guy and not lose a one-on-one situation, which when you've got five bad offensive linemen, not that all five are bad, but it may be this week. That's a scary proposition when you are down, you're, you're forced to throw. So uh, I think it's going to be very dependent on the game script. If I'm the Titans, I'd want the ball first and I'd want to score. And I would want to put the pressure on the Bengals and really say, OK, block us up front. I'm curious now thinking about the Bengals inability to close out games and constantly playing from behind. They have a poor record, one, five and one this year. But they've led in multiple games. They have either been tied or leading in the fourth quarter of five of those seven games this year. Is it yeah. just a young, inexperienced team that doesn't know how to close it out? Or there are just glaring weaknesses that maybe Joe Burrow is overshadowing and playing well and with hitting his connection with T. Higgins and A.J. Green finally coming on and the back shoulder throws working really well last week against the Browns. But what's what's the big reason for this for these games that Cincinnati just can't seem to close out? If I had a good answer, I think they would be a much different team, to be honest, because <laughs> even in a year they go two and 14 last year, they went oh and eight in one score games. I mean, yeah. that's not supposed to happen. If even if you regress back to the mean or in this way, progress to it, you should start winning some of those games, half of them. Give me three out of those eight. And then we go into this year and they still can't do it. And you start to wonder, all right, what are the trends? What's going on? What can you see on film? What's the data show? Are the coaches being aggressive when they do get in position? You know, you go up by 10. You don't settle for that field goal and make it 13. Go for the kill shot on fourth and three. Go for it and make it 17 because that's when you control the game, not 13 points. You know, different things like that. The defense is not a good unit. Um, they're getting no pass rush right now. And when a lead is maybe 10 points or seven points, that is not safe in today's NFL. Uh, you can have 40 seconds left on the clock. I think it was a minute eight last week against the Browns. The Bengals score, take the lead, but that game went back and forth, I think, six times in the fourth quarter. You kind of, you know, a minute eight is too much time, and they tried to run the clock out at the end before they scored on fourth down from the one-yard line. It's just the defense was non-existent, and there's so many things we go back. You can look at every game. They're figuring out ways to lose. Uh, I think the, the in the Super Bowl era, the teams were 55-0 and 0 when they didn't punt in, in a game. Now they're 55 and one because of last week, because of the Bengals. And so they go against the, the Colts the week before that. They go up 21 nothing. They look like they're, yeah, that's here. Finally, we got a blowout game. Everything's clicking and they found a way to lose. And it's just, I don't know, man. You, if you think like good teams will learn how to cover. And then the next step is learning how to win those games. And then you build from there. But how can you go two years or at the halfway point almost? If this continues, I don't know how you can have faith that, that the coaching staff is. Um, optimizing those close games and really pulling them out like good teams do yeah and you touched on the defense there allowed a career day to baker mayfield a career high five touchdown passes last week and they've been pretty bad against the run too allowing the fifth most rushing yards per game the titans offense is kind of the rushing oriented make plays off play action in the passing game kind of attack and i think that the bengals defense could be susceptible to that this has all the makings of a shootout, in my opinion, given the Titans' own struggles on defense this year. I want to get your final expectations for this, how you think this game unfolds on Sunday. Is it going to be a big high-scoring fair? Are they going over that 52 total? What do you think? I think the Titans have a good chance of running the ball at will and using play-action rollouts, hitting some big shots. And 
I think that's going to mean the Titans are going to score 30. So it's up to the Bengals at that point. Can they put up 25 and make it a game down the, at, the, at the end? Uh, I, I think we're looking at a seven to, you know, 10 point game. So we're, we're, we should be in one score somewhere there. I, I would say it's a 30 to 24 game, whether that means the Titans pull it out at the end or the Bengals just get it close at the end to make it a fake backdoor uh, one score game, which they have a, a few of those in the last two years. I, I like the Titans in this one. I've been pretty good so far with the Bengals uh, projecting whether or not they hit the under over. Uh, I do like the the over again. And I just think the Titans have a little bit too much to control the game. The Bengals really defensive line right now. It's just Carl Lawson. And that's it. That's not enough. You need three guys on the defensive line to really create pressure. It, it's, it's a, it's a, pre-prong thing I, I think we, we've seen them when it's been one guy when it's been Geno Atkins himself or when it's been Atkins and Dunlap it really isn't so you get that third guy in there that can help you and this is Carl Lawson now for them and it's the only guy they have I just don't think you can win games consistently without a effective pass rush yeah I think Titans fans will enjoy that prediction uh look Joe we really appreciated your time here tonight uh last question for you I'm gonna frame it this way the Bengals win this game if what if they create turnovers because i think at that point um you can control the game script a little bit more and when you can stay ahead of it whether that's they come out first they get the ball they score titans come back fumble or throw an interception whatever the case may be that puts you in position i don't care how bad of a team you are versus how good the other team is you can control the game script i think in today's nfl you have a chance now whether or not and they've done that a few times this year whether or not they can hold it or and protect it and stay aggressive throughout the game because uh, that would be part two of it. So you get turnovers, then you stay aggressive. We'll see a few points in this game, whether it's fourth and two from the 40-yard line, right, or going in on the other side. Do they punt? Do they kick the field goal? Do they go for it? Bengals, uh, I think I want to say they are 13 of 14 on fourth downs this year. They should be going for it much more. They are effective. They're, they've got a good plan. I like their attack on fourth down, especially fourth and short. I feel confident in Joe Burrow. They need to be aggressive. And if they are, you'll know through the first half, I think. If they're being aggressive on third and fourth downs, I really like their chances. If not, I don't think they can stop the Titans enough. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time tonight, Joe. Again, we're too sorry that uh, we're sorry that Justin couldn't be here with us to do this interview, but we'll get him back next week. It's too bad you guys miss each other. But again, thanks so much for being here tonight. Everybody, you can follow Joe at Joe Goodberry on Twitter, as I said at the top. Justin, didn't you love that interview that you weren't here for? <laughs> that was terrific. I really wish I was here for that. All right, that'll do it for this episode. <laughs> Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast, The Music City Audible. Wherever you listen to podcasts, really helps us grow the show, helps more people find it. We move up those popular ranking lists and all that other cool stuff. So. If you enjoy the show, if you're a fan, if you like what we're doing, please hit that subscribe button and tell a friend about the show so we can keep growing and bringing on guests like this one. That's going to do it for the episode. You can follow Justin at Justin M underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. Be sure to check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. Got game previews up now for this game against the Bengals. So go read those articles and let us know your thoughts in the comment section. You create an account and you can leave comments, a free account to leave comments, a pro account to get all the articles by John Glennon, Mike Herndon, film breakdowns, all 22 reviews. You definitely want to check out that because you can do so with a free trial for seven days. All right, I got nothing else to promote that's going to do it for the show remember we're presented by 440 sports check out 440 sports.com anyway that's it that's all we got 
Tune in Sunday. We'll be there with a live stream as soon as the game's over to discuss everything that happened. So check us out on Twitter at BroadwayTN. The end. Tighten up, everyone. The end. The end. A Broadway Sports Media Production.